Hi, everybody. My name is Charlie. I am the pastor here. Good morning. It's good to see you. If you would, turn in your worship guide to page 9, or if you have a Bible, using a Bible on your phone, it'll be in Psalm 22, or if you just like to listen, that's awesome also. We're going to read this text for today, Psalm 22, and I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Psalm 22, for the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, and you are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by our men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan circle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me, and I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My, my heart is turned to wax, is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You laid me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. 
From you comes the theme of my praise and the great assembly before those who fear you. I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All of the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves benign. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declare it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing right now, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, we spent the last few weeks uh, in the Psalms. We, we come and go from the Psalms every once in a while. We pick up where we left off. And we've done the last three weeks. We did 20, 21, and now 22. You know, I had originally planned that we would uh, do Psalm 22 last week and do Psalm 23 this week on Easter. Psalm 23 is the famous, the Lord is my shepherd sermon. Very Easter eating. Uh, there's, you know, there's green pastures and quiet waters. And then, if you guys remember, a few weeks ago, I got sick, and we had uh, Reverend Pat Roach came and filled in, and he messed up the whole preaching calendar. <laughs> and so today, on Resurrection Sunday, we we have this psalm that starts, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And um, liturgically, according to at least the popular uh, liturgical traditions. But I mean, liturgy is, can't you, that's a, that's a, that is a heavy vocabulary word. Liturgy is just the order of worship that we do here. So when you stand up and you sit down, the things we read, the things we do together in worship. Traditionally, on Easter Sunday, uh, the liturgy that you do, the sermons that are supposed to be preached, are supposed to be up and happy, let's go, rah, rah, resurrection. Uh, but today it is it starts dark. Now I don't think that is it is thoroughly liturgically inappropriate. In fact, I think it's probably more liturgically appropriate to come here on this Easter than it would have been to go to green pastures. Not that green pastures are bad; they're awesome. Uh, but today, this Easter. Uh, coming in, I believe that this text, this psalm, Psalm 22, is exactly what God has for us. This is a death psalm. Uh, better yet, it's an execution psalm. It's an execution liturgy. And the person singing, the psalmist, is the one under attack, under fire. 
We can see from the beginning it says, for the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, the Psalm of David. We've learned in our study of the Psalms that when it says, for the director of music at the beginning, that means that whoever wrote it, in this case it says David wrote it, wrote it specifically for congregational worship. All of the psalms are good to sing in church, but at least 55 of them were marked, sing this in church. <laughs> and that's what this is. This is a liturgical psalm. This is for the congregation to do together in worship. So, and they have a tune, the Doe of the Morning. If you guys know that song, then maybe, that's a joke. Nobody knows that song. Nobody knows what that's talking about. But it is the cue that when David wrote this, it was, it was for the congregation to sing. That tells us something about how to read it. It's written in the first person. The person speaking speaks of themselves as I. But if it's written for the congregation, then the I is the people of God, the group, and every member in it. And so David, even during this high point, and during his reign in the life of Israel, writes this psalm about that expresses, gives voice to the community, and also forms a community, teaches them what it means to be the people of God. And in this case, what that means, at least to a point, is to die. Is a certain measure of suffering. Acute suffering. It's interesting that what we read here in this psalm is not just—it's not just sickness, it's not just hardship, it's not just confusion. It's execution, and it's confusion and hardship and sickness that all comes with inhumane execution. What was David up to? Why, as the king of Israel and the songwriter for the congregation of the people of God, why write the hymn for temple worship about being executed, where the people would rehearse, would act out dramatically, kind of like what we do here, like we rehearse confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. Uh, like we were first giving our offerings to God, like in a bit we'll be first coming to the table. Why act out death? Part of the answer lies in the second half of the psalm, where the singer, uh, we see that it doesn't end in death. It ends with the singer declaring God's victory and praises and gathering with a new, much bigger congregation. It doesn't just include Israel, but includes all the nations. The reason David would write a death liturgy is because it comes in two parts. In the second half, this resurrection liturgy. Psalm 22 is a liturgy, a worship service format that walks the people of God through death by execution and then resurrection by the victory of God. That's what Psalm 22 is. Now, how appropriate that that lands today on Easter Sunday. Where Jesus, the person of God, the people of God embodied in, 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 in God-made flesh, 
Jesus, who we look at, we say, that's us. Himself goes through the death and resurrection liturgy at the cross and being buried and then being raised. How further. But before we rush to Jesus, let's spend some time looking at this through the best we can, through Hebrew eyes. What was David trying to teach the Hebrew people? Let's, let's look at this. As we've learned, we want, we want to read the Bible not just Christologically, not just looking for Jesus in the text, but also historically, also textually. We want to look at the uh, what did the author mean in his time and place when he wrote this? What does he mean when he put the words together this way? So let's take a moment. What does this psalm mean historically, textually? Let's, let's take a look. Well, we see the psalm is laid out uh, in three, three parts. Um, there's the lament section, and that's mostly verses 1 through 18. Here, the mourner is in an acute crisis. He's uh, facing execution. Well, I should say he or she, because right now this is written for the people, and people included uh, men and women, boys and girls, and everyone is singing this. So everyone singing this is meant to think of themselves as the speaker. So here, the psalmist, the singer, he or she, you or I, the people together find themselves under attack, find themselves feeling totally isolated and confused. God, who is supposed to be there, who has always been there since birth, the singer's whole identity has been in God. God brought them from the womb. It was God is the God of their family. God is the God of their people, of their nation. But now in this time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? God seems to be gone. Also, the people that the singer has been a part of, the, the nation, the family, the friends, they have also turned away. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people, the people who see me, they mock me, they hurl insults. Here the singer is finding themselves totally isolated. Where is God? Where are my friends and family? Now, at least at this point, David, the songwriter, is speaking to universal human experience. You ever found yourself down and out, feeling like God is absent, feeling like everyone's against you? I have. I'm willing to bet probably every single person here has. If you haven't yet, you probably will later this afternoon because it's coming for you. It's a human thing. So we have this lament. But again, it's not just sadness. It's execution. It's hands, feet being pierced, people encircling, they're moving in. So there's the lament. Then there's this other section, and it's the prayer. Now, most of the prayer section is located in the middle, verses 19 through 21. And here, the psalm starts to turn. But you, the singer has been lamenting, and then here, but you, O Lord, be not far from me. 
You are my strength. Come quickly to hear me. The singer is crying out to God. Actually, the prayer starts in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we go to lament, and then it picks back up. You, Lord, don't be far away. Come quickly. Singer is responding to their circumstances, not by pushing back against the accusers, but by crying out to God. That's significant. It's also significant that the singer is not breaking their faith in God. God seems absent. God seems far. Seems like God has forsaken us. But the singer cries, my God, my God, don't be far from me. The singer is taking ownership of God. We, we, we might call this piety or reverence or Faith. That's significant. The singer doesn't break faith. Crying out, deliver me from the sword. A precious life from the power of the dogs. Sometimes in ancient Israel, the word dogs was used as um, a derogatory term to refer to Gentiles. Um, but it wasn't exclusively that. It just, it, it sort of meant like, um, well, it Kind of like today, if you call somebody a dog, that's, that's really low. But deliver my life from the power of the dogs. Before, during the lament, the singer talked about dogs and bulls and lions surrounding him. Um, and it was like he was saying that the, the, the opponents, the enemies, the, the way that they were treating, let me back up. I don't think that the singer is using the word dogs in a derogatory sense, saying that the accusers or the people attacking him or her or the, the nation are like are, are subhuman. Um, I don't think that because we also see the singer like reaching out in faith to God. It seems to be a righteous person. Righteous people don't talk bad from using derogatory racist terms. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't think that's it. I think what the singer is saying, deliver my life in the power of the dogs. I think what that means is, referring back earlier in the psalm when he said that the dogs and lions and bulls were surrounding him and taunting him, hurting him. And in that place, I think what he was saying is that his opponents were acting in an inhumane way. Being attacked by these people was as if he was being attacked by animals because they had no regard for his own humanity. So here, we find the singer saying, Lord, don't be far away. Deliver my life from the power of the dogs. We find the singer crying out for basic human justice. I am, like he said before, I'm not a, they don't see me as a man. They see me as a worm. I think those of us that grew up in the United States sometime during the last hundred years, is everybody here? Maybe this should bring up images of the suffering of our African-American brothers and sisters. Those famous pictures of the, of the march carrying signs, I am a man. These are the kinds of things that this, this, the images that are good to come up. This singer is crying out, 
I want to be treated like a human being. So that's the lament, and that's the prayer. And there's things we, we, can, we can relate to those. If you have lamented that way, or maybe prayed that way, or at least in our culture, there's, there's images we can say, oh, yeah, I think I understand something about that. You have that in your head. And then in the psalm, there's this turning point. It happens uh, after verse 21. We've been lamenting, we've been praying, and then there's this rest, verse 21, rescue me from the mouth of lions, save me from the horns of wild oxen. And then there's this, it's, it's almost like it's a whole new song. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Now the singer is not standing in the middle of people inhumanely attacking him or her or the, the nation. Now the singer is standing in the assembly of worshipers. And the singer is preaching, declaring God's faithfulness. This is almost like, like like when we studied last week in Psalm 21, like, like a victory ceremony after a battle is over. And the singer is preaching, saying, God has been faithful. Oh, you who fear the Lord, praise him. You descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, descendants of Israel. You can almost see the image of the singer now standing in the assembly of Israel and leading the people in worship and everybody cheering because the battle is over. That's, that's a big switch. I almost said switcheroo. That's not, sorry. <laughs> switcheroo. That's a big switch. The singer in the middle, surrounded by dog-like hackers, and then now sit singer in the middle of assembly proclaiming victory. Turn. And here, the, at this turn, the rest of the psalm is just rejoicing in praise. Psalmist has clearly been rescued. God has proven to be faithful. The, the people are no longer enemies. They're friends and family. He, he even shares in a sacrificial meal with them, I will fulfill my vows and the poor will eat and be satisfied. The rich will feast and worship. Everybody gets to come and share in this victory meal. I don't keep from all over. All the nations come. And maybe most striking of all, we see in verse 24 that the God that he thought was far away, the God that the singer thought had forsaken him, the God that he clung to, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was, was not gone after all. He has not hidden his face, but he has listened. So that's the psalm. And you can see the liturgy. Can you imagine being in church and going through that, rehearsing the death all the way down, all the way down, and then rehearsing the resurrection? It's almost like when we recite the Apostles' Creed and we start talking about God the Father and God the Son and then how he was born and how he suffered and then he descended into hell. Then he resurrected and then he ascended. And then now here we are all together, one totally universal Catholic Church filled with the Holy Spirit worshiping. There's this 
story arc. We see it in the song. So, what's the big idea? The big idea is that David is writing this for the people of Israel. And he's teaching them to know in their minds. And then know as they worship in their hearts and their bodies as they participate in worship. What it means to believe in God when we live in a world that is filled with sin and death. Psalm 22 is a picture of what it means to be a believer. In David's time, what it meant to be a Jew. When we look at it here together, what it, mean, what it means for us to be Christians, like we prayed before, Christians in our hearts. It means that this story is our story. We are the people of death and resurrection. That's what it's all about. Now, the thing is, is when we look at it this way, look at its history, how David designed it, how the people of Israel would rehearse it and kind of try to imagine ourselves there, what it's like for us to do it. It's so beautiful. It's awesome. And it does speak to our basic human instinct to hope. The hope in a better life ahead, the hope that the world is that even though we suffer now, things are going to be better down the road. The hope in goodness, like every great book or family-friendly movie that we've ever watched, kind of tells this story. It's that even though things are hard and things are in crisis and there's this great problem, one day everything's happily ever then. Psalm tells this story, and it's beautiful. But if we all tell this story, even in our family-friendly movies, and I think we can argue that maybe even, just to speak broadly, maybe even every well-intended sort of religious or very religious or whatever person out there would say, yeah, this is what we're doing. If everybody kind of looks for this and believes this, doesn't it kind of lose its power? You know what I mean? Isn't it kind of watered down the whole rise of the Psalms promise if it just speaks to our human optimism one day, happily ever after, it's better. I think it does. Because when I read this Psalm, I, I say, yeah, that's, that's cool, it's great. It kind of tells me the what of religious faith. You know, there's a God or whatever who turns bad things good, makes death resurrection. Yeah, it's, sure. We want to believe that. Believe that. You know, Disney believes that. You know, everybody believes that. Whatever. Um, but today, at least in my life, um, you know, I still have lots of times where God feels far away, even though He's my God. Even though I was kind of born into this, 
from, from the womb. I still have people, even Christian people, who have hurt me. Maybe you're like me, or many, so many of us have stories, even abuse by the hands of Christians. You know, like me, sometimes I, I, I look at my own self and I, I struggle with shame over my own body. I know what it feels like to feel like a worm and not a man. I struggle with self-respect. Even though we're so blessed here where we live compared to the majority world, um, I look at the world that we do live in, it's very inhumane. And where's where is God for me? I need something more than, than just fairy tale hope. Right? So give me something more than just a nice song to sing, David. The key to this song, right back when we started. And so we can't just read it through historical eyes. We can't just look at the text and do just do you know historical grammatical Bible study with it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we come up with this really cool, we spent 20 minutes on it. Great. We need to look at this psalm through Jesus' eyes. This psalm really only becomes good news with power when it moves from being a religious song to a gospel song. I believe this is why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they wrote their Gospels, and they decided how they were going to craft the story of Jesus' death and resurrection in just a couple pages in our NIV Bibles. I'm sure if we would go back and ask them, they could, and we said, hey, uh, Hey, Matthew, you were there. You were Jesus' disciple. What happened at the cross of the resurrection? Matthew could talk to you about it and not stop talking for like a week and a half. But when he wrote it down in his book, he, he, just a few pages, which means that him and Luke and Mark, they, they had to figure out how they would tell the story, what they would include, what they would leave out, how they would structure it, how they would narrate it. And those three of our four gospel writers, each of them decided to structure their stories. How? According to the pattern of Psalm 22. Which is why if you're like me and from the womb, who grew up in this, when we, when we read Psalm 22, it sounds like Jesus' story. In fact, if you take Psalm 22 and you work backwards, what you get is the passion narrative. Passion narrative doesn't begin with Jesus sharing a meal with his brothers, sisters, and family. The passion narrative doesn't move on to Jesus being um, surrounded. Um, taunted, arrested um, by Gentiles, dogs. Doesn't the passion narrative 
They say he trusts in you, let the Lord rescue him. People said, well, if he's really the Messiah, he could just come down from that cross. Passion narrative, they pierced his hands and feet. They cast lots for his clothes. And then right there at the very end, right before Jesus dies, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm is quoted more times in the four Gospels than any other part of this altar. And that's because Jesus' first disciples wanted us to look back at this psalm and they wanted us to drop our obsession with just happy stories and know that the gospel story is the only one with the real power. They wanted us to see that, uh, especially when they were writing for that first generation of Hebrew people that would have grown up doing Psalm 22 in synagogue as it was designed. Just like so many of us know the songs that we sang earlier, they would have known this. They wanted them to read the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. They wanted them to remember Psalm 22, and they wanted them to realize that Jesus is the one that actually makes the story powerful. Let me put it this way. Between the lament and prayer part, and then there's this mysterious turn, and then there's this resurrection part, that turn is where Christ goes. He's the power. They they wanted the first readers of this psalm to see Jesus himself as the singer. Now, why is that? Well, it's because Jesus, well, let me just, let me put it this way. Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For years, Christians have tried to figure out what that means. What, what, what does that mean? What did he, what did Jesus mean by, what happened there in that moment? Some have said that there in that moment, um, the Trinity was broken. That we have God the Father turning away from God the Son. I can't look at him anymore. Because God the Son had taken on sin. And right there, their their fellowship was broken. Some have said that there in the moment, um, that Jesus, the the God-man, the incarnate Son, no longer felt his divine power. I don't know if there's any way we could know that. But there's there's been all kinds of theories. I don't know how the Father could ever lose favor in the Son that he had declared already very publicly, this is my Son and whom I'm well pleased. I don't know how since God is one and also three, the eternal trinity of very ground of all being can be broken. Don't quite, I don't buy that. I don't think Jesus was saying that there in that moment, he as the Son of God is there just left alone because now his eternal Father hates him. That's not, that's not Christian, that's not Bible. You know what Jesus meant when he was on the cross and he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He meant this. 
Hey, everybody, watching what's happening right here, do you want to know what all of this means? Open your Bibles to Psalm 22, because that is happening right now to me. That's what Jesus meant. He was claiming this Hebrew congregational song that he had probably sung in the synagogue his whole life as his own. And in that moment, Jesus was saying, I am the people of Israel. I am the congregation. I am the people of God. I am humanity who suffers. And I'm suffering all the way through execution. I'm going all the way to the grave, descending all the way into hell. And my God, yeah, it feels like he's born, but he does not turn away. He saves me. And then it's like Jesus just kept on singing all the way through the grave, all the way to resurrection, all the way as he ascended. And even today, we read in Hebrews 2 that today he stands in heaven. He says to the Father, look, me and the congregation of brothers and sisters you have given me. So what does all this mean, Pastor Charlie? Well, it means this. If you have felt abandoned by God, if you have felt the acuteness of suffering, if you have ever been accused, if you have ever been guilty, if you have ever been alone, if you have ever broken with your religious community that you grew up with and now you're an outsider, if you have ever been a worm, a man, or a woman, look to Jesus. So has he. The early church fathers put it like this. He became as we are so that we could become as he is. Jesus puts it like this. I am the resurrection and the life. Folks, the good news of the gospel is no fairy tale. It's no mere optimistic hope. It is the good news that God has become one of us, a member of this congregation, and he has descended into our hell and the Father never turned from him. And he raised him from that pit and has seated him on high so that where he sits today, that's where we belong. Praise the Lord. He has done it.